Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Competent Podcast, where we talk about your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. I'm Tori. I'm Marin. I'm Nia. And I'm Decoria. And today, lovely people, we hope you're having a very fantastic spooktober. Um, we're thinking about, well, I'm thinking about, of <laughs> doing um, hosting spooky movies during Halloween weekend. So make sure you are subscribed to our Twitter and our TikTok, and we'll get more information about that. But in the meantime, make sure you're drinking your water, wearing your sunscreen, bundle up, because it is getting a little chilly. It was like real cold yesterday when I took the dog out. I was like, oh, yeah, it was we real. for real Finally. in fall. Right. We for real in fall, fall, right? Also, the leaves are like, changing color. It was like, what, like 40 to 50, something like that. For yes. people who live up Ooh. north, we get it. That's not cold for you guys, but it's cold it's for us cold down, down here. here. So shut the yeah, hell up. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally still like 80 degrees a week ago. <laughs> so. Like every time people in the south talk about it's cold. Oh, people in New York, oh, no, it's not cold for us. We have like a freaking windstorm. Right. Okay, I'm glad you could survive in the Arctic tundra. Right. Now, <laughs> let, me, let me talk about the wind factor that was making it feel like 30 the other day. No, for real. <laughs> But yeah, drink your water, wear your sunscreen, all that good stuff. Today we are back with another black cinema. I don't even want to call this black cinema. A cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Spectacular. AKA, me and Nia were traumatized as film minors and refused to be traumatized alone. <laughs> yes, we That's wanted exactly. to share the trauma. <laughs> we wanted to share the collective uh, what the fuckery um, by rev- watching, reviewing, and analyzing imitation of life i know i know i know you just screamed i know you just looked at us like we were crazy but listen it's an experience that i kind of don't want you to experience but at the same time the leo the evil leo in me it's just like but you gotta but you gotta (laughs) and this was like a but you gotta type of thing so if you've never heard of imitation of life it is a movie and a remake based on a book that was released when was the book released the book was released in 1933 by Fanny Hearst. The first movie was released in 1934 by Universal Pictures. And the remake was released in 1959. These are probably the, some of the oldest films that I've watched. No, I take that back. We had to watch, um, what the fuck is it? Birth of a Nation. Never mind. <laughs> that, is <a> whole, <laughs> that is a whole another uh, thing that I don't ever want anybody to watch. Unless you're in the film, then it's kind of pertinent that you know the source of all black stereotypes, which is Birth of a Nation. Um, but yes, so it's 111 minutes, the first one, and the second one is 125 minutes. We're going to re- kind of recap and review both of them and then compare and contrast. And just talk about our feelings and things like that. So, you know, go get your, go buckle in, you know, put us on the background while you cook dinner, because this is going to be a long one, y'all. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. So, the Imitation of Life, let's start by um, the, thir- the 1934 one. The Imitation of Life is an American film drama directed by John M. Stahl, screenplay by William Herbert, based on Fanny Hearst's 1993 novel. Um, it The film was originally released in 1934, reissued in 36, and remade in 90, um, 1959. In 2005, I hate this, Imitation of Life was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, being deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It was mm-hmm. also named by Time in 2007 as one of the 25 most important films on race. The film was nominated for Best Picture, Best Assistant Director, Best Sound, recording at the seventh academy awards 
dun, dun. For the 1959 version or the 1934 version? The 34 version. The first. Oh. Huh? Uh-uh. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Uh, no wait. way. <laughs> no way. <sighs> okay, I'm, okay, first, can I just say this? I'm really, really curious to hear what Corey and Marin have to say. Because, Tori, I know yeah, we've both yeah. seen this probably multiple times. So, like... Yeah. What like, were your we thoughts already, going like, into the story? Yeah. Let's start there. Um, yeah. I didn't know what the plot was. I just mm-hmm. watched it. So <laughs> that was interesting. Um, I remember as I was watching it, I started remembering things you told me about like mm-hmm. the young um, black girl and what how she didn't want to be black and all of that. Uh-huh. And I st- and then it started coming back to me. And then the whole plot came together and I said... I, I said this on Twitter. I said, under why black people deserve reparations, this movie could be under number three because I want my time back, y'all. I want to be paid for the fact that this movie was even made. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, I felt that in my, in my spirit. Yeah, okay. What about you, Corey? Um, so... I watched the 1959 version first and mm-hmm. I went in expecting it to be like, like this movie was racist, but I thought it was going to be like blatantly racist, like song of the South or some shit like mm-hmm. that, like that kind of racism. And so it wasn't like as bad as I thought it would be still. I wouldn't like the words that it got. I don't know about that. Like the mammy stereotypes, uh, the fact that the girl in the little girl in this, the 59 version was not black at all. As soon as I saw her face, I was like, this girl's like Eastern European looked her up. Yeah. Her dad is from Austria. <laughs> thought like, I like, as I thought, well, it's just central Europe, but still she looked European and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just like that whole subservient, black woman stereotype yeah and like the i don't know what kind of message you're trying to send because like i like i get like it was like okay you shouldn't be ashamed of your blackness but also it was like the mom was neglecting her own child to take care of like a white family and i was like ugh. and then like i got to the 1934 version and it was even worse like it was even worse (laughs) like that that one was like is oh my god it was just that's so interesting because I prefer the 34 over the 59. I don't see, and I really don't see how, like, I, respectfully, I, I, I do not see how. <laughs> no. I, and the only reason is because, one, the girl in the, the 1934 version is actually mixed. Black. The child. Yeah, she's yeah, she's yeah that's black. true. Second, the acting in the 34 version is much better than the 59. I'm so see, sorry. I don't Just, think that's the case because, like, I feel like the 59 version had better acting. And plus, with the 34 version, I couldn't stand that yes, a massive type. Yeah, that, no, no, no. no. I They're both equally bad. I also, I, also, <laughs> I also prefer the 34 version because at least the tragic mulatto in this one was not a sinister Chucky demon child like she was in the <laughs> 1959 one. You cannot tell me that child was not scary. When she was like, I want to kiss too. Oh, I'm white. Like she wasn't saying that like that was that was scary movie Deline literally. Like I was waiting for her to turn into a demon child. And mm. so that's why I prefer the 1934 version. But I feel like the 1934 of- version though when I was watching I feel like the clan was like gonna like pop out of <laughs> <laughs> That's valid. That's a very they valid that's a very valid reaction no no i that's a very valid reaction like i don't i i mean i mean of course this is i don't know this controversial or whatever but i definitely prefer the 34 with the 59 yeah okay so with the 34 version we basically get 
we have, you know, single white mom and her little blonde child. And then we have a single black mother with her mixed child. And they basically end up living together. That's the premise of the whole entire imitation plot. It's these two mother-daughter pairs coming together and you get to compare and contrast their worlds and compare and contrast how they deal with outside forces, how one has to deal with race, one doesn't have to deal with race. You get to see how they intertwine with their children and each other's children and all of that goodness. Um, so let's uh, start. Uh, basically, the plot is, so mama's trying to get her kid ready to go to school. She's not doing well. I When she left that child by the bathtub full of water, I said, Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is a setup. Why would you ever do that? Like, I know you're like, but also, why are you cooking while you're giving your child a bath? Why is there anything on the stove downstairs exactly. that you can't get to? Also, like that little white child actress was adorable. Like she's I was adorable. like, oh, this is so she's so cute. She's and so then, precious. Um, yeah, and then um, the like their the fact that they got such young children to memorize those lines still baffles me. But that's mm-hmm. just another conversation. But yeah, but yeah. So she's this mother. Her name is B. So B's a widow. She's running her husband Sarah business. She's trying to be a you know she's trying to do it all. She's trying to be Wonder Woman. It is not working because she's not good at it. Because why in the on God's earth, are you trying to give your child a bath and cook breakfast at the same time? Miss, you don't, you're not an octopus. You don't have eight arms. And so she's, you know, running around the house, trying to catch phone calls, trying to do business. Suddenly she hears thank, thank, thank on a door, and it's Miss Delilah. Miss Delilah's a, a black housekeeper. She was looking um, in an ad to go to, she was um, responding to an ad in a newspaper that was looking for, uh, you know, a housekeeper. She came to the wrong address, but she sees that this woman is having a hard time. So she's just going, you know, make herself at home and cook. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's literally five minutes in and we're it's, already like, here yeah, we go. Here we go. Here we go. Buckle your bootstraps because it only gets worse from here. And so um, they, there's this really ridiculous dialogue about her not being able to discern one street from another and, you know, questioning her intelligence, which happens the entire movie in this film, which I was stupid as fuck to me. Um, but so jesse falls in the tub she you know she cooks breakfast for miss b for it thank you and she says well you don't you know what i think you could use a housekeeper you don't have to pay me you could just you know i just need home and board for my child and then we get to see piola and piola is a um white passing um mixed child but the girls get off really quickly and miss b's like you know what i do need help so let's do this so they fall into a routine of um Delilah taking care of the kids in the house while Miss B tries to, you know, keep the syrup business afloat. She go on the boardwalk, a boardwalk, and was just like, you know what? Why don't I set up shop and sell my syrup from here? But not only that, I'm going to, without Delilah's permission, after she done told you that this is her mother's secret recipe, open up a hotcake shop. She didn't ask her for her her input, nothing like that. She was just like, this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to do it, and it's going to get done. On the business side of things, I'm like, I get it. You got to support the children. On the other side of things, you don't want to ask her for permission not once. <laughs> Literally, Jack thought. Daniels. Literally <laughs> what happened with Jack Daniels. The black man came up with this, the formula and the white man is like, that's wonderful. I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. And the family did not get paid a dime. And the fact that they use her as an Aunt Jemima figure, uh, it's, it's like, ah. Jack Daniels, is it, is it another brand? Because I know... 
I'm, I heard the story of like now they're putting the name of the guy on the bottle and they gave the family like the descendants a brewery, but I'm not sure if that's like another whiskey company is doing that. Mm, well, that's, I mean, that's something if they do that, but also I don't. I, oh, wait. Putting, so was I, this, did Aunt Jemima come before or after this movie? I have no idea. I, I no, I think Aunt Jemima's up. older. Yeah. Like, okay. I think Aunt Jemima's like during Reconstruction slavery days. Let me check. Yeah. Um, while you check that, yeah, I'll continue. So they okay. basically, you know, she finesses getting the entire place redone because Miss B is on her business. She's just like, I can't, I ain't got no money to pay you right now, but I promise you that the shop is going to, um, you know, get you some money, you know, pretty privilege, using her pretty privilege to her full extent, um, pretty white privilege of that. And so five years later, they debt free. The girls are good at school. Jesse and Palola are getting together. You know, Palola's basically passing at school. Nobody knows she's black. Um, Delilah is working in heels. When I saw that, I was like, first of all, there is no way I would be standing behind a counter working in heels. <laughs> right. But she's, you know, you know, flipping hotcakes on this griddle and whatnot, and they making good money, everything good. But then, you know, um, Jesse calls Plola black. Plola has a breakdown because she doesn't feel black. She doesn't want to be black. She doesn't want anybody to know her mother is black. And, you know, here comes our tragic mulatto plot. And, um, you know, this is probably one of the most annoying parts of this movie is when she's cradling Plola and telling her, you know, you know, um, Miss Bo is trying to make um, Jesse apologize. And Delilah's like, no, she ain't got to apologize because there's nothing wrong with her being black. And then she looks up to the camera <laughs> and says, well, I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know why we got to hurt so bad. And I was like, I know this movie didn't just try to be fake woke and they continue to be <laughs> stereotypical. <laughs> we know who's the fault it is excuse me it's the caucasians um what oh god no they really were just like here's your tote here's your teats of wokeness while we continue to make fun of this black woman for her lack of intelligence i.e the next scene when a businessman basically hints at miss Bo that if you box this pancake mix you can make buco bucks. And so Miss Buell, who's a businesswoman, is just like, oh, okay, Miss, we gonna do that. And so she does that and she tries to get Delilah to sign for 20% of the company and Delilah refuses. Delilah refuses because she says, um, and they, they even call it Delilah's pancake flower and they put her on the box. <laughs> Literally. Um, they put her on the box and Delilah, Delilah says, no, Miss Bew, I just want to live with you. I just want to work with you. I don't, you know, I don't know nothing about this money and yeah, none, none of that. Don't throw me away. Like, don't throw me away. And then Elmer says, well, a pancake will always be a pancake. And I was just like, <sighs> I was, that scene was infuriating. It's really Cause like, like, because that moment of progressiveness that I see they tried to do, like, oh, we're going to off, like, at least they didn't just rip it from her. I give them that. Like, like it's the bars on the floor, but at least the bar is kind of there. And then they immediately put it in with the stereotypes of like, oh, I don't want, like, it's like, ah. It's that whole myth it could have that been. the slave actually really liked being a slave. And right. like, they yeah. really exactly. cared for massa, that stupid shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And also random, the Aunt Jemima started in 1888, oh, so yes, okay. it's a it, Jesus Christ. Why yeah. is it so old? <laughs> right. So, anywho, 
Um, ten years pass again. Both women are wealthy. They're living in this mansion. There's this whole subplot of with Miss Bew meeting a man and falling in love again, and the girls are grown and. Of course, um, Palola is still having her tragic mulatto plot. She hates the fact that they're living on the basement and they get to party upstairs. She hates the fact that she has to go to a Negro college, can't be white, and go to a regular college like Jesse is. Um, all that good stuff. And so Delilah, you know, she's become, you know, a big part of the African-American community in New York. She has a bunch of friends, a bunch of charitable organizations at church and all that. Delilah keeps trying to get Palola to accept being, you know, mixed and black. And Palola is constantly being like, no. Um, I look in the mirror and I'm white, so I don't understand why people are treating me like I'm black. All that good stuff. So when she, um, they basically come to a head and Palola says, okay, she'll, um, Palola decides to run away because she can't do it anymore. She's having this internal conflict. And I know I'm supposed to like sympathize with her but I, as a dark-skinned black woman, I just can't. I won't. <laughs> Literally, I like, and even though, like, I was just like, "Woe is me!" Like, sir, like, sis, like, who? I mean, I'm not trying to diminish. If you're biracial or whatever, I mean, I know that's a different struggle. But at the same time, like, why? What's the reason? And it's like, also like, I, I get especially specifically in this story with the tragic mulatto, she's not being treated like shit by B or Jesse. She's not yeah. anybody around her like that. And she's living a better life than most black people in the thirties or the forties <sighs> or whatever what time period they're in. And I'm like, sis, you can make the most of this and do other things, but that label of black like walking down the street, nobody's gonna call you a nigga unless she goes they see your mama. And even then, right. like taking a stride and keep it moving. <laughs> And the fact that she was like, I'm not going to that colored school. I'm like, that most likely she was talking about like a Spelman because Spelman existed back then or like a Clark yeah, or like a Howard. Yeah. I'm like, HBCU, sis, these yeah. are good schools. What are you doing? Just yeah. the way I, I acted, like, like, like you were saying, it just made zero sense. Nothing about how <laughs> it made sense. Like, at yeah, least for the biracial kids who complain on TikTok now, like, at least we can acknowledge <laughs> that some of them probably were, like, bullied a little bit as a kid yeah. for being, like, white or whatever. Especially if they're raised by a white, like, yeah, mother. Not even gonna here. lie about that. Yeah. Yeah. Your black mom was doing everything to protect you and give you the best. You were just like, well, it's me. I'm not white. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. This There's this subplot. I forgot about this subplot <laughs> of... Because they couldn't think of anything to make the white mother and daughter pair have issues besides the daughter falling in love with her mother's boyfriend. And that was very <laughs> weird. <laughs> even when, even when um, the boyfriend, the ethologist, the fish doctor, the fish professor, Stephen, even when they met for the first, or like met for the first time or like, he was like talking to her. I was like, proximity. Why is he sitting so close to her? I don't understand why he's sitting so close to her. Like, also, when she meets her, she just, when, when Jesse comes home from school and she just kisses her on the lips. And I was like, really? <laughs> that was like a weird, I guess it's like a 1930s thing that you just still kind of kiss your children on the lips, even though they're like that big oh, age. Yeah. 18. Yeah. When I, I was saw like, that too. I yeah. was very confused. I was like, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> But that whole conversation they're having in his office where he's just like, she's like, when do you think it's the perfect age to get married? He was like, well, I'm 37 and anybody under 20. She's like, well, under 20 is not young. And I'm like, Jesse, ma'am. <laughs> I don't understand. Also, I don't ever understand why Jesse, 
she's like, I love you, Steven. I'm like, babe, it's been, you've been home for a week. It's been five days. Five. You cannot be in love with this man. Um, it's giving Ariel. It's giving daddy. I love him. Oh. It's like, you don't even know him. <laughs> Right. And so they're having this whole subplot and all the while Delilah is Delilah realizes that Palola's run away. So Delilah and Miss Bew go down to the south to find her. She finds that Palola's passing. She's working at a um a cigarette shop or a restaurant, whatever, and you know, people didn't know she's black. Her mama comes in and she denies that her mom she calls her crazy, all that other stuff. And you know, um Miss Bo steps in and Miss B says and she's just like, uh, Palola, chill out. That's your mama. Quit. Um, so Palola basically tells her mother that she's going away. She's gonna never return and she, you know, wants to live her life as a white woman, you know, and if, even if they meet on the street, her mother's not to speak to her. Delilah is heartbroken and basically she falls ill basically from heartbreak and all of that. <laughs> I also put in my notes that as the plot between Jesse and Steven continues to unfold, that you can very much tell um, you know, Delilah's basically dying in the basement. <laughs> and you can basically tell that Miss B is more concerned about Jesse falling in love with her boyfriend um, than, you know, Delilah wasting away. And then finally, when Delilah comes to her last minutes, you know, she's sad about it or whatever. And I felt that. I felt her being sad at this scene more than I did the 1959 one, which is why I don't like the one as much. I felt her. Um, I felt that. And so... Um, and then, basically, Delilah's biggest wish is that she wants this grand funeral with horses and all the people that she's been, you know, friends to come and see her. And I I don't understand what, even in the original novel, I don't understand why this is such a significant plot. Like, Delilah's biggest plot point is her death. Right. And the, the weird thing that always what bothered me in both was like Delilah's um, in like almost like I have to have a perfect funeral. It's like you could be like why it's like it's like the caring about her after she's dead versus not taking care of her while she's alive. Right. I don't like that. I like, don't like it either. They only I don't like it either. It, it rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, y'all could have made her life easier instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to do what you want for the funeral. It's like, no, you can make her life better. Like, I, I don't know. That's just yeah it's it was i always felt like it was a story being like oh we can't be good to her in reality as she lives so we're gonna be good to in her death mm. and i'm like mm. especially when i realized when i i never looked up this fact when i first watched these movies but franny hurt fanny hurts the inspiration for this novel was a road trip to canada she took with her friend the african-american short story writer and folklorist zora neale hurston she went on a trip to Canada wow. with Zora Neale Hurston and then wrote this book. What? That's, wow. Mm, that says a lot about you. <laughs> like, I'm so confused. So the book was written by a white woman, right? Yes. And the person she went on a trip with was like a black, like a historical black figure? Yes. I, Their I eyes are watching God. That's the writer. That's Zora Neale Hurston. I'm trying to like, how do you come to these kind of conclusions about black people (laughs) after taking a trip with somebody like that? Like, exactly. Like, I don't know. I mean, I know the movie shows you though how like white people, not all white people, but like how some white people think about like black people. Like, especially you know how like 
they'll be like oh i love black people like i was raised by a black person like we had a black maid like they don't see they see us for like the value we can give them like basically Mm. yeah and i know this movie suffered a lot under censorship of the time like they cut out a scene a scene where a young black man is nearly lynched for approaching a white woman who believed had invited his attention so like there were other stuff like they didn't like miss i forgot how to pronounce the words misengation oh race mixing yeah so like miscegenation i think that's what it's called miscegenation yeah yeah. it was it was carded for that for a long time like they wouldn't let um the movie go on like here's a quote from the hayes office he objected to the elements of misengagement, whatever you just said, in the story, which not only violates the production code, but is a very dangerous from the standpoint both of the industry and public policy. He rejected the project writing Hertz novel dealing with a partly colored girl who wants to pass as white violates the clause covering um, misengagement in spirit, if not in fact. So there was a lot of negotiating that had to go on before this movie could be like released to the public. But basically, in the end, Delilah dies. Polola comes back. She cries. I don't like the fact they put Polola in the front seat of the car. That bothered me. Um, um, Polola basically decides to go back to college. Bue and Steven break up, promising, um, asking Steven to wait for her until Jesse's over her infatuation. Um, and then they, at the end of the story, they basically just tell, it ends with Miss um, B telling Jesse about her uh, meeting Delilah for the first time. And that's how the movie ends garbage anyway so <laughs> let's move on to the 1959 version i forgot this was so long it was two hours i remember what's weird is that this one didn't feel as long as the 1934 version mm-hmm. but sorry Marin didn't mean to cut no i was saying i remember starting the 1939 version and i was like an hour and 50 minutes yeah the 1939 you, version is it's just it's crazy <laughs> and then you go to 19 it's like two hours if i said oh my god they added 15 more minutes of plot <laughs> <laughs> so um the 1959 f- a version is directed by douglas cirque produced by ross hurton and released by universal international it was cirque's final hollywood film and dealt with the issues of race, class, and gender. Imitation Life was the second film adaptation. Um, you know, it had a star-studded cast. Conor and Moore received Academy Award nominations for their performances. And gospel music star Mahila Jackson appears as a church choir soloist. In 2015, oh God, the United States Library of Congress selected Imitation of Life for present. Oh, okay. Is this one got in there too? Oh, both of them. Both of them are in the Library of Congress. How fucking <sighs> fantastic. <laughs> I hope that, like, if, if they're, okay, I could see them putting them in there, but I hope at least there's, like, some commentary on, like, how, like, these, like, it's kind of, like, problematic and, like, the stereotypes in it. Like, I hope it's just not in there with, like, no kind of, like, acknowledgement of, like, what's going on in the story. Yeah. So. I feel like they probably won't. I mean... <laughs> You know, people, you know, white folks especially love to be like, oh, you you can acknowledge the context. You can you can do that in your head. It's no, like some, yeah, some people some truly really think can. that black people are no, like this. <laughs> like it's like this is the reason goodness. why you have people thinking that like their ancestors were good to the slaves. Like there are people oh, who still think like right. this. 
and thinking Confederate monuments are like, oh, they don't glorify them. That's literally what statues are. <laughs> they glorify Why people. On his deathbed, literally said, "Do not put statues up of me," because he knew he was a disgrace. And yet, people are still like, "We have to honor his legacy." Like, no, you don't. <laughs> literally, oh, oof. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading a part of the history in production for this one because I didn't read all of it. Okay. All right. So, oh, this one awards. Ew. Okay. All right. <laughs> so this one is a little different. We're in color now. We're in fantastic. Also, before we move on from the 1934 one, the 34 one, Miss B was giving looks. The lashes, the brows, the dresses. She was giving looks. I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, the dresses were, were great. I like, I love the dresses. All right. And so. That's the only thing good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so we start out at a crowded beach. When I told you this scene gave me anxiety, anxiety. I don't know if it's because we're living in a COVID world. When I saw that many people, I was like, do y'all just really go to the beach to be surrounded by that many humans? Like, I I don't think I've really ever been to a beach in like summertime. Is that what it's like? Yeah, it depends on which beach you go to. Yeah. Ew. Especially okay. if you live, if you're in the really popular, um, more expensive hotels, when I tell you there is barely space to walk mm-hmm. on that beach. Oh, absolutely not. It just triggered like my flight response <laughs> when I saw that. I was like, nope, can't be here. Gotta go. Okay, so we're at this beach. And this mother, in my opinion, is way too calmly searching for her child. She was just like calling her name. <laughs> She's like, Susie, Susie, where are you? Susie, where are you? Like, they were definitely trying to make sure this was a movie because she got the really wide shot of her like with the glasses and the scarf and like the bodice on leaning over the thing and i was just like really if my child was lost at this beach i would be you know pulling everybody i saw across the side she was way too calm for me but um we see this young mother looking for her child um and we find out that a black mother um whose name is annie in this film and her daughter sarah jane have basically um took the child she said sit right here we're gonna wait till she's like i reported you we're gonna wait till your mama gets here her mother gets here there's this whole plot on the side going on um with the man named steve who's a photographer who's like taking pictures of the kids and this is like whole kind of cute moment and basically um the johnsons and the merediths yes so annie basically says well you know i'm looking for a job i'm looking for a home for me and my little girl and um you know, if you could use a nanny and things like that. And so they basically all end up going home together. Annie turns out to be, um, you know, a, a kind person who takes care of the house again, similar to the begin- the first movie. And, uh, what is her name? Laura. Laura is a, wants to be an actress, um, Broadway. And, and she's, you know, working her best to do what she can as a single mother and so they end up living together. They end up doing this kind of um, same thing. We get to see Sarah Jane absolutely hates the fact that she's black. Absolutely hates. She's her tragic mulatto, who isn't mulatto at all. That's what's in my notes. Um, <laughs> when she, so we have a scene. This is the scene that bothered me the most. The scene where Laura basically kisses her child. You know, t- you know, and then sarah jane demands a kiss she doesn't ask for one like she demands a kiss and i was just like the delivery for this child actress is giving me horror film which is why i don't like this version it's like it's it's almost 
scary and off-putting. Like, I was waiting for her to try to kill the other girl, Susie. I was waiting for Sarah Jane to bring out the knife, <laughs> like Chucky, and go Chucky and everybody. Because, like, the way that they have this child actress being like, I'm white. And she's, like, got her eyes big and, like, this conviction in her voice. And it's, like, not, like, the tragic, sad kind of mulatto that we saw in the the thirty the 34 one Mm -hmm. and i hated it because like why is it so why is being black such a terrifying thing to her like it's to the point where it's like not even i can't even feel empathy for this child like i felt Mm -hmm. empathy for palola because sarah jane is off her rocker (laughs) the entire movie yeah there's so much anger and hatred and i'm like why where is it coming from? Like, you've only been with your mom this entire time. Where is this vitriol and anger coming from? Like, it, 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 there's no, like, there's no reason for you to be this mad. Right. Like, except the fact that you're half black and keep it moving. And especially since you definitely can't clock this one because she's white. And I feel like if they had actually got a mixed actress, then maybe I could feel some empathy. But the fact that this girl is white from child to adult who's pretending to be mulatto there's no authentic authenticity in her acting she doesn't know she's acting as if she a mulatto but she's not like she's acting as if she's mixed like oh if i was half black this is how i would feel this is how this is how desperate mixed um black women are to be white that's what was coming off to me there was a little bit of sincerity in the 1934 version mm-hmm. to me than there was in the 1959 version and so I thought the delivery and the acting for that entire role was just, it was, it belonged in a horror film. It didn't belong in this film. And so, you know, we're having this dramatic affair between Laura and Steven. And because Laura wants to get to the top. And so, and Steven's just like, well, do you really have to be an actress? You're old enough. You have a child, all that good stuff. Um, I really did like the dialogue in this one better than I did in the 34th one because she gets a call from she gets a call from the acting director who she pretended she was um a hollywood actress and you know he you know she left the office after he tried to basically pimp her out and um you know he calls and says you know isn't this you in the i, I laugh at this but she said isn't this you in the photo with the dog you know spraying the the flea powder on the dog you know i have a director who's looking for the genesis qua and i was like a genesis qua from a flea powder ad she was just standing there. i was confused i laughed but you know steven goes on this whole tirade about well you're always gonna be busy you're always gonna be looking for the next thing she's like this he's she's like i want to do this my whole life just how, like she's like if you just how you want to do with photography if you really love photography you wouldn't give it up so quickly and i was like oh per the reason this one are great and so she basically finally gets her first role and he's still living with her um and so Laura becomes this big Broadway star. She gets a break. Um, we get to see the kids are all grown up. Laura and uh, Laura and Sarah Jane don't have any really animosity amongst them. And so we watch as Laura continues to try to climb up the ladder. She's kind of tired of acting. She's bored of it. She wants a new role. Um, she's still dating the director that wrote her plays. She's just been doing comedy. She wants drama all of that good stuff and so um they basically i guess you can say that um oh 
before we get to that, I thought the burning of the script was very dramatic. She's basically moved. So the the ladies all move to a new house. They're rich now. Um, Laura is, you know, a highly regarded Broadway star. And she's talking to David about his latest script. And she says she doesn't want to do it anymore. And his dramatic ass throws the script into the fire. And I was just like, really? <laughs> He's like, I lost my muse. And I was like, whatever. And so it's one role. It's one <laughs> like she's been working for you for the last eleven years, sir. <laughs> like, chill. So she does this play that she thought was going to be a great opportunity for her, and she kills it. And guess who shows, shows up that night? Mister Stephen himself with a date. And I, I, Miss Laura's bold because even though he had a date, she was all over him. I was like, ma'am, all over. No respect. She was like. <laughs> who's that girl i you don't matter to me i'm steve where are you right. <laughs> like nothing had changed nothing had changed we still get to see that sarah jane is very much upset that she that you know annie is still working for laura is still helping her or um whatever but steve comes back into the picture they're all happy to see steve especially miss Susie, because she develops a what a crush on him so while this plot is happening sarah jane who's basically passing for white outside of the house, um, starts to date a white man without telling him that she's mixed. And so um, when the crew, everybody leaves the house past Sarah Jane, she pretends to be sick. Everybody goes on a picnic at the picnic. We definitely understand that Susie has a crush on Steven. Um, I truly don't understand how her mother didn't see that. But <laughs> um, back home, uh, Sarah Jane basically um, they come back home and Sarah Jane has snuck out to see her boyfriend the boyfriend finds out she's mixed and he physically you know harms her he beats her up um, the background music for this I don't understand why the, the nightclub jazz music was playing <laughs> I don't understand the background music for that like there was like a lot of lost of emotion to me in that scene because it's like well, it's dramatic because the movie was filmed in 1959. But the music to me was just like, this was supposed to be sad. But it just kind of comes off as like Sarah Jane had it coming to her. Mm-hmm. Instead the of music being, like, reminded me of like uh, old noir, like crime film type like sound. Yeah, I still thought it was a little too upbeat though. Maybe take yeah. the tempo down a little bit. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, it kind of lost the emotion for me in that scene. But Sarah Jane comes home, and of course, um, she's, you know, wailing to her mother, telling her, I don't want to ever see you again. It's because of you that I got caught. And she basically, you know, runs away from home, leaving Annie a note. And so all the while this was happening, um, Laura basically is getting an offer to go to Italy to film and all of this and her and Stephen are rekindling and you know Susie trying to figure out what she's going to do with college. So basically um, they asked Steve to hire a private detective to find Sarah Jane. They locate her in California. Oh no, before this, because after she breaks up um, with the boyfriend, she gets a job performing at a CD nightclub after she told her mother she was working at a library. Um, her mother goes there and basically, you know, she gets fired sarah jane is you know gets mad again um and you know you could tell that you know they fight and argue and sarah jane refuses to talk to her mother and annie basically you know collapses on the steps because she's physically mentally tired of dealing with her child 
Um, Laura returns from Italy after filming. During this time, she had asked Stephen to take care of Susie, and Susie definitely fell more in love. So basically, at this time, we have no idea where Sarah Jane is. The detectives locate her in California. Even though Annie is sick, she says, I have to go see my child. She goes there. She finds that she's a chorus girl at like a, a, a Broadway show or whatever. Um she you know tells her i'm not here to take you home she's like if this is what you want to do that's fine but i have to come see you. you're my child you're my baby and um they basically kind of have this kind of like agreement that annie won't let anybody see her won't let anybody know that she's sarah jane's mother and sarah jane is um okay to do what she wants and she pretends to be her maid a former nanny who just came to visit and she leaves. And so she returns back to York and Annie is basically bedridden. And during this time, Susie confesses to Annie that she's in love with Steven. And so that we get to see Laura and Susie have this entire fight um, about how, uh, well, <laughs> the entire fight, but also Susie sees her mother and Steven kiss and she's heartbroken. I'm like, did you really think this man was in love with you? She's obviously here for your mother, so I don't understand why you're heartbroken by seeing the kiss. But she's supposed to be like a teenager or whatever. So they have this whole argument, whole fight. Susie is reading her mother for filth. She's like, stop pretending. Stop acting like you're a matriarch. I'm just going to go away. The infatuation will end. You know, we'll do what we got to do. Susie basically gets sent off to school. Um, Delilah ends up passing... Not Delilah. Amy ends up passing away again laura's crying i didn't believe any of her tears honestly i don't i don't think this scene was no that scene <laughs> when i tell you like at the end where she's like listing things like her last words and it was like the white lady was l- waiting for her to say something yes, to her yes. and she never did and that was i was like come through because even she when said, she talked I, about her funeral before um she was like yes. she talked about her funeral before now that was a read yeah, she talked about her funeral before she's like well friends i didn't know you had friends she's like well you never asked and i was like read her and i was like oh for filth annie read her for filth but like even some of the stuff that sarah jane wasn't all out of pocket because like when sarah jane got caught coming home with caught coming home after pretending to be sick and she talks to Susie, she's like you probably should not gonna tell she's like well i'm dating a white boy and this and this and um Susie's first response is well mother will be so upset she's like your mother doesn't own me and i was like period because why would your mother be upset my mother should be the first one coming out your mouth um but even when she um but like even when laura asked sarah jane to help her mother it's like i'm not your maid my mother might be your maid but i'm not your maid like any decent child would probably would help annie just because she's like i don't want my mom to be tired but you know sarah jane's out of pocket and that whole um Thing. Like even when she did that thing, she came in. She was pretending to be, you know, you know, black in her quote unquote. Ness. She's like, I'm just gonna show you that I could be black and things like that. And I was like, well, if that's what you think black people is, that says a lot about you and less about anybody else in the room. Exactly. So Annie dies. They give her this grand Doris funeral. Honestly, the the crying, I didn't believe any of it. Um, the scene where. Uh, Sarah James come back. She's like, that's my mother. And I'm like, your acting is awful. At least in this one, they put Sarah in the backseat. Sarah Jane in the backseat. And they, you know, they, you know, cradle her and comfort her. And Steven smiles at them. And that's it. That's the end of the show. That's the end of the movie. But yeah, this is, yeah. Invitation of Life is always an interesting 
topic i should have looked for my papers for it but um oh you wrote papers oh yeah we definitely had to write papers about invitation of life but yeah so what were y'all feelings after watching both movies Marin? um okay after about what the first 50 minutes in the first film i started watching it at 1.25 and 1.5 speed because i was like i can't, I can't <laughs> oh yeah i watched the the, the 1951 one at 2. speed i was like i can't no <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i think so in the first one when um hold on let me get everybody's names right when when delilah was like I'll basically work for free. I was like, come again. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm sure there's some, been some people out there who would do work for free as mm-hmm. long as they got room and like food. Like yeah, you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. But then when she made money, and then she told her you can keep it. I said, oh, okay, well throw this away because I don't want <laughs> I don't want any part of this. Um, I will uh-huh. say though that in the 19. 19- 34 version when um her daughter when delilah's daughter was going around when piola was talking about how she doesn't want to be black and that people treat her differently in the whole time i was watching the film i was like so you're not gonna show us ever somebody treating her differently like mm-hmm. you're really gonna make me not want to sympathize with this child at all mm-hmm. besides the fact that i mean i am black so i can just understand but you're not even gonna show me once but then the 1959 version at least they, they showed us like, yeah no one's and, treating yeah. you different <laughs> like, yeah in yeah. the 1951 version um at the very least at least we saw her name's not piola what's her name in the 1959 sarah version? jane sarah jane we sarah saw her jane. get be- beat up by her boyfriend mm-hmm. and i was like and he beat her up pretty bad like he took right. more than one or two punches at her i was like okay if that's what you're being treated like the entire time not that i, I understand what she's going through but mm-hmm. i was like damn like I don't know the first one I just it really threw me off that they never showed us in the first one her being treated differently because um the white family um didn't treat her any different in my opinion right in the first one so yeah that's what I thought uh, what about you Corey uh yeah like after watching both like I think the movies are definitely like interesting I guess like I don't know how mm-hmm. to describe it like I don't like hate them, but at the same time, it's just like when I watched it, I was just I felt I had like a bad feeling, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I don't like like the portrayal of like black people in the movie, basically. Like yeah. I know, like like I guess like for their that time period, you know, it was decent for that time period, but still, like mm-hmm. looking at this through like a modern lens is just like okay. And then like on top of that too, like if you look at the reviews for the movie online, I was kind of shocked, like how much people like really like this movie like a lot and like how like there was this one review this guy was like oh yeah i'm like iranian canadian and i have a good understanding of black american history i really love this movie i was like what wow yeah like it was just really like it was like almost insulting to read something like that (laughs) no that's very insulting this is why they shouldn't be in the library of congress like i get it 
like what you were just saying like we get that it was monumental for the time but people don't need to be watching this and being like oh that's the black experience that's what i was saying that's what i was saying i hope they have some kind of commentary like like near the movie like like a museum panel that's talking about Mm -hmm. like stereotypes and stuff like that because like this movie is like literally nothing but stereotypes like it's not even just like it's stereotypes about like mixed people too because i feel like the portrayal of this girl hating herself like that there are definitely mixed people out there who think like that but i kind of feel like the way she's portraying herself is how people think mixed people act on tiktok oh no it's basically. definitely definitely yeah. it's a white person being like oh if i was white and black exactly. this is how i would react exactly that exactly. you're talking like that they portrayed someone of color hating themselves so much they wanted to to separate themselves from their own mother when this exactly. woman literally did everything for her, you're rich now. <laughs> like <laughs> it's 1959, no and you're black and you're rich, girl. Your mom said you would not have to work a day in your life. <laughs> like, and I think yeah. I did think I did like how they kind of acknowledged that. Like I think I said this earlier too. Like in the process of uh, the black lady taking care of like the white family she kind of neglected her own child Mm -hmm. like in the process of doing that so i kind of i like how they showed that because i feel like some people will probably watch this and be like oh like she worked so hard which she did work hard but she also didn't neglect her child she didn't she didn't pick all the correct choices for her and her child yeah because the correct choice would have been to take that 20 percent in the first movie exactly move them out the house y'all could still be friends but like move them out of the house and stop working exactly like i don't like exactly like what you just said like her starting off just wanting room and board like if you don't have a home i can understand that that makes perfect Mm -hmm. sense but eventually you do want to make some kind of profit off of this situation and what they're offering you for using your entire recipe well in the second movie it wasn't like that but like Mm -hmm. in the first movie like using her her namesake in her face like you should got way more than 20 percent for that um and then the second movie i like how they kind of like i guess because at the time um people were exposing how hollywood really was so i like how they kind of acknowledge like that there are directors and talent agents out there that were just exploiting women basically and i kind of like how she didn't like the main not the main character but the white lady didn't like fall for it like she stood up for herself Mm -hmm. um what else do I like about the Steve was pretty cool. I didn't like how he was like. I think you acknowledged this earlier how he was like, "Oh, you don't need your career. You're, you right. work too much." Or whatever. And they're like, "All right, mind your business. There's nothing to do with you. Mind your business, sir." Yeah, but yeah, overall, I I just I don't know how I feel about this movie. Really, very yeah, conflicting. Yeah. Very conflicting. Yeah, movie. it's very conflicting. Um, some interesting facts before we get into me and Nia's <laughs> rants. Um. Uh, the, the wardrobe. Okay, so I find this interesting, um, hilarious, actually. The director and the screenwriters felt that when they remade the 1959 version, they felt that such a story would not be accepted during the civil rights movement. Correct. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but racial discrimination and equality was still a part of it. So that's why they switched the story to what it was. You know, now they could, you know... Um, the producer Ross Hunter was aware that these plot changes would enable the actress who played Laura to model an array of glamorous costumes, a real jewelry. Her wardrobe cost $1.78 million, making it the most expensive in cinema history at the time. The budget for this film is $1.2 million. 
Wait for the excuse the me? first or the second? The second one. Wait, so like what is that after inflation? <laughs> I don't Plus I 1.2 million 1959. Her wardrobe cost more than what it took to make this movie. I mean, she had on like mink That's... coats and diamonds. Like it was yeah. very Hollywood yeah. so I it makes sense. But my thing is, if the production staff had the consciousness, the awareness, so that this type of film wouldn't do good during civil rights movements, and you still picked a Czech Jewish immigrant to play the role of Sarah Jane, <laughs> like exactly. Okay, that's, the, that's eleven million two. dollars around. 11 Jesus million. Christ, that's crazy. Um, that's not making sense. You knew this film would be controversial, and you still were like, "We have to pick a white woman." That's uh, what I, it, I really <laughs> didn't get that choice because even looking at her right off the bat, you can tell that she's European. Like, not, I'm like, right. you can tell yeah. that she's not one drop of black blood like, there. Like you. Oh. And the weird thing about that is, is like the first movie. It's like there are a lot of things I don't like about that version, but that one part is that the real life actress who paid Piola mm-hmm. was oh. a mixed actress who could have passed she said in like her in one of the interviews like Mm -hmm. that she could have passed and she had opportunities to pass but she declined and she like stayed in black cinema and she spent half of her life just advocating for black actors so it's like i get that like for me that holds more weight and it's like it's weird that the older movie made her better choice than the movie that should have made the more Since, progressive yeah. quote unquote because it's time had p- 30 years had yeah. passed almost yeah. and it's like you y'all regressed <laughs> like why I, I but you know what actually I thought about this and this could be just me speculating mm-hmm. but doesn't Sarah Jane kiss that white man in in the bar I don't remember that like when she gets off the stage after doing oh, her little dance number doesn't she kiss him? him but the mom came in okay so got you so like the thing is i feel like they might have cast her for the reason like if you saw a mixed white passing biracial girl almost kissing a white man before i think this was legislation Mm. passed on interracial relationships Mm -hmm. like they probably wouldn't have allowed it or they would have banned it in like the south Mm. um so i feel like they might have done that or that might have contributed to why they picked the white girl I mean, that's just, that could be not the full reason, but I feel like that could be a a contributing factor. Mm. Yeah. But that's like part of the reason why I don't like the 1959 version. It's just like, I don't know how we regressed from 1934. (laughs) I don't get how we regressed. I kind of feel like it regressed as far as picking the the actors, but as far as the plot, I don't. Like, cause the 1934, like I'm telling you, I I really could not watch that movie. Like, it was like a struggle for me to get through it, cause it was really giving like fucking 12 Years a Slave, Django Unchained, like all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, what's her name? Annie is a like she still has her problems because she's still like the happy go lucky mammy archetype. Yeah, but at least she's not doing the eyes so happy. Yeah. like she's and not doing that. The feet every so. twenty minutes and shit. Like oh my oh my god, <laughs> rubbing the feet. Yeah, the dialogue in the nineteen thirty four one is definitely more triggering because I was like, if they make her say mammy one more time, I'm gonna flip a table. Um, but I don't know. I think overall, I like that story better, not only because of the casting, because I felt like 
even if it had, I I just feel like the emotions in that film came across clearer to me than the 1959 version. Like I really had a lot of problems with the acting in this one, even though like the dialogue was better and the plot was a little bit better in the 59 version. The 34 version to me, I, I the I guess the tragic mulatto trope for me upends a lot of the better things that happened in the 59 version. Yeah, I can see that. I guess for me, it's because I didn't feel sympathy for the girl in either version, so that's why I was just yeah. like, I don't... Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I, I really... Both Sarah Jane and Piola, I was just like, this, this is... I mean, I get... Okay, historically, like, there is a history within, like, especially during post-slavery like Jim Crow era Mm -hmm. where it was like beneficial to pass because it got you access to more jobs and it got you into certain spaces Mm -hmm. because colorism exists and the one drop rule all that stuff exists and so I get it like some people pass because they wanted opportunities but still I don't think for this specific storyline it's not like she's poor and she has to pass to get a job like it's not like it's not a life or death thing. She's having this internal conflict from, I don't know where she's getting it from because she has the white folks in her life literally treat her the exact same as everybody else. Her mom loves her unconditionally. I don't know where she's getting this rhetoric. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, I don't know. I know society will put that on people. I know that society highlights like whiteness as the prize, but it's still like I don't get where in her circle she feels this desperate need mm. to like pass. Like I don't I don't know. That's I, just I, I feel how you I too. read it because it makes even less sense because she's a child too. And like if she was mm-hmm. going right. to like she wasn't going to white schools before then, it was just like where is where is all of this coming from? And like like you said right. now and earlier, like the white family she was staying with in the first movie. They didn't treat her different. And then the second movie, they straight up were like combating her every time she said something like that. They're like, oh, we're not treating you different. Like, look around. You stop acting like this. Nobody's treating you differently. So it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this is this is peak white people trying to be familiar with blackness and failing. Mm. They're like, yeah, they are putting themselves in Piola and Sarah Jane Shoes as being like, OK, if I was black. I would hate to want to be black in this day and era even now even now in 2021 a lot of people are just like oh if i was mixed they would use the privilege of being black to be like oh i'm not cultural appropriating because i'm black but they would also be like i would hate to be black because of how people treat me Mm. and so that's kind of that thing that they just kind of continue to hit on the head in this movie it's just like even i wrote a note about something oh in the 1934 version, where is the note? I want to say, I want to say, no, it might have been in the 59 version. I don't remember what version it is. Oh, no, it's in the 59 version, which is why I also don't like this one. When they, there's a conversation that happens between Laura and Annie. Annie is in her bed. She is sick. Um, Laura comes to Annie talking about how concerned she is about Susie because something's wrong. And basically she says, um, when when they talk about and then Annie compares their situation to Sarah Jane or whatever and Laura says well this is different this is a real problem what has Susie oh ever God. lacked in life yes. and I was oh, like yes. I was like okay wait a second no you didn't just not downplay racism <laughs> no you didn't just downplay literally white people 
in a nutshell. Right. Like they, they only care to a certain extent until it affects, until they think their problems matter more. And then like, ah, even and the thing is she's supposed to represent the well-meaning white people mm-hmm. too, which is, which is funny. I mean, I think, like even the well-meaning yeah, ones. No, I feel like it really perfectly encapsulates white liberals though. Like literally. Yes, it does. It that's perfectly. true. This is like, call like call from inside the house look in the mirror if white liberal people want to go watch this literally <laughs> and also i don't know if y'all noticed this in the 59 version i feel like they actually used annie more does that make sense yeah like they, they definitely the writers talked about how about they wanted to as, give her more plot they used her more yeah. but i mean but i mean in the sense like the white family used her as like a someone to listen to their problems mm-hmm. like they used her more in that sense like i mm. feel like in the first version like delilah kind of just responded to stuff and they wouldn't ask her her opinion or give the advice mm-hmm. you know but in the second one it was almost like she was their therapist like you know it's like the magical negro plus you know the what? manny now that you yeah. say this, i had a thought while watching the 59 version i was like i wonder how um it went from this stereotype to the black best friend who knows everything stereotype in modern times. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Well, that just opened up a, a thought in my head. Has the new Mammy just become the back the black best friend? I think so. Is that oh, yeah, definitely. And the therapist, the knowing black no, best friend, yeah. Yeah, and the therapist that like the white character goes to their black therapist mm-hmm. and the black therapist tells them something they didn't know before and then that's it. Like that's that's the extent of yeah. It's a huge through line it's like, through knock like, knock at Netflix and all their originals. Period. Netflix is just and it's like what's weird to me is that the it's like Annie is so complicated for me because it's like there are moments where I feel like less cringy with her character mm-hmm. but i'm also like there's certain things that i know they did to make sure she fit the mammy stereotype even though she wasn't an aunt jemima in the second movie right like because aunt jemima is the manny archetype like the figurehead of what mammies used to represent mm-hmm. and so delilah being just like aunt jemima was supposed it was on purpose yeah. but the second movie when they take away the pancake company and she just works for them um it's like it's like why even make her the mammy if she's not like to me it's like they could have cast annie as a younger because keep in mind the the white actress in this is like 15 years younger than the actress who played annie she was like in her older age when she played this role mm-hmm. and so it's like they purposely picked a desexualized version of a mammy so that she wouldn't compete with the white actress like like i don't know mm. if i'm just overthinking but no, like, you're i don't not. know if, did y'all I, I, I pick up on that like there was no reason to keep her as a mammy if she's not supposed to represent the aunt jemima but i did that because they didn't want i feel like if they would have made her this a younger attractive black woman they would have been audiences would have been like well why is she here like she's taking away from the our precious white woman like mm. i i feel like there's no reason to make Annie forty something and the lead actress is like thirty. Like you're, it's per, it's on purpose. I, I just no, yeah, it's definitely on purpose because there's also the fact that in the first one they question Delilah's intelligence a lot, and this one they don't do that. Yeah, they don't do that. Annie has yeah. her own voice. She makes great comebacks when she talks to people around. Um, around laura they're not treating her like she's black expect except for the um the director of her first play who says i still can't make out whatever he says 
we'll have to talk about this, but at 5655 in the 1959 version, when he's arguing with Laura about her not wanting to be in his new play, I think he was like those colored something because there was black actors in her play. And I was just like, mm-hmm. that was also a thing to show us that Steven's the better guy because when Steven sees, um, when Steven's around Annie, uh, he's just like, oh, Annie, it's so great to see you. Like they, they're like friends. And so that yeah. whole picking a desexualized character is a part of that because like if she was young, like even when there's that moment where Steven comes back to the house, right? And to me, the only they pick the desexualized character because they still have to have Sarah Jane as a sexualized character. The way that Sarah Jane looks at Steven when he walks in, that's what when I first watched this movie the first time, I was like, oh fuck. They changed the plot of to where Sarah Jane has a crush on Steven. I thought you know it was what I'm the saying? Way. Mm. I thought Steve was gonna go for Sarah Jane. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Because also, the way he held on to her yeah. and he yeah. was looking at her, I was like, mm, this is no. And then you notice how like like this this may really be like a reach, but notice how like they made like uh Sarah Jane much more like sexier and yeah. like mm-hmm. curvier. That's exactly what I'm talking about when the Jezebel. Yeah, yeah they made her very provocative. Sarah Jane in that scene yeah. where Steve meets them when they're older next to Susie, she definitely looks like Susie looks seventeen, Sarah Jane looks twenty one. Yeah. 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 And that plays in, in the fact that she's not even black, but she's contributing to the Jezebel mm-hmm. archetype, the stereotype is crazy. Like they even made her in the first movie, she's just working at like a cigar a cigar store. Mm-hmm. Nothing like racy. But in the second movie, they literally give her a musical number on like a vaudeville yeah. club. Like it's it's like what was it's not necessary. <laughs> like you don't have to go to this extreme of like she's passing as this white entertainer. It's like she could just be like I don't know why they immediately went to mm-hmm. sexy, but really, besides the fact that they wanted to do the Jezebel stereotype, they were really trying to make up for the fact that we really didn't get any story for Sarah Jane's for Piola in the first one. We always mm-hmm. just saw her complaining and running away, and then that was it. And then they tried to make up for it in this one, and then just went left with it. Well, also the reason they probably yeah. made her a Jezebel is that you kind of even in, even that scene with her breaking up with her boyfriend was supposed to like in invoke empathy it uh-huh. kind of comes off as like oh she had it coming to her because mm. like we know she's black and we know if he finds yeah. out he's going to be angry does that mm-hmm. excuse his violence no but like that also contributes to like her being you know having a boyfriend or even like wanting to do any any of the things that she ended up doing in that film that Jezebel stereotype plays into that yeah, that's true. Like I, this is rent, well, it's connected. But I remember as a kid, I shouldn't have seen this as a kid. But I saw you Alex saw, Haley's oh, Queen, I was about which to say, was starring. You saw Imitation of Life as a not, kid. No, 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 <laughs> no. It's um, Alex Haley's Queen. It was like his mini series, but after Roots and Halle Berry stars in it. And they, <laughs> the fact that they put like white powder on Halle Berry, it's like you you could have just Ooh. found a white passing actress. You don't have to <laughs> put white makeup on Halle. But anyway, um, she plays a white passing, someone who passes back in like the 1800s. Uh-huh. And it kind of, you see similar things, themes with this kind of narrative. It's like, if you pass, you will get caught and then you will get violently beat yeah. if you're found. Like, and I feel like the reason that when you talk about the music, I feel like they do that to try to say, ha ha gotcha and it's like that's not a ha ha like it shouldn't be like a a, what i pulled a fast one Mm -hmm. or whatever it's not like i feel like they diminish what 
passing really like means, so, and if they yeah, like passing yeah. is a survival tactic. It's not like yeah, not everybody like desperately wants to be white, and that right. des- they want the benefits of whiteness. Yeah, they want the benefits of whiteness because like even now, passing has like been contorted by um a lot of non-black or non-mixed people to be like oh i'm such and such passing y'all don't even know what passing is you've never had to pass anything in your life (laughs) exactly and then some people don't even know what passing looks like now they're like oh zendaya's passing like you don't not understand (laughs) that was my issue too like what and that was an issue that i had with like uh the 59 version because like it just like once again it made no sense to hire a completely like white actress to be mm-hmm. the daughter because mm-hmm. the first of all the mother is like fully black so if a fully black person had a child with a passing yes. person oh it would not come out like that at all even even in the, would like, not. Even the first movie i'm like where's her melanin no, where is it the child would not like <laughs> children only look like that if like both parents are like or one white, parent is white and the other parent is mixed yeah like yeah. they don't like they don't like i don't know maybe they didn't study black people enough i don't know what was right. going no on the, 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 the genetics think, were no, not giving think- <laughs> You know why I think they did that is because they specifically wanted a mammy archetype mm-hmm. and mammies are always associated with dark skin because it's a racist mm-hmm. caricature mm. of black women at that time who were maids. And so I think, and I'm not every dark skin woman during that time was a maid. I'm just saying that's what the stereotype entails. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if they would have done a realistic casting, they'd be like, they would be like, oh, well you have to, it's really it would go against the stereotype. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be, I don't even know how to put it. It would be like them trying to say, well, this light skin actress can also be a mammy, but that doesn't go with their narrative. Right. And that doesn't go with the, what the white standards of beauty are and like racist standards of beauty. And it's like, ah, and the colorism of it all. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just that the, the logistics of it. She, Cause in both movies, they both say, Oh, dad was, uh, barely, uh, barely black or barely yeah. whatever, and I'm like barely. And like, if what a fully white person and a fully black person had a child, and even that child is like passing, <laughs> why would you think like like literally just makes no sense? It's it not gonna no be sense. Piola or Sarah Jane. Literally. We would know she was black. It we would, would be know a Zendaya. It literally right. would be a Zendaya. <laughs> it literally would be a Zendaya. Literally. No, um, I'm glad we got to watch this i'm sorry i put y'all through this trauma but also not sorry because like having to watch these films as a film major it's just like you have to dissect them and talk about them so much so it's like really interesting to see people outside of film classes talk about it because like yeah at the end of the day everything just kind of goes back to a birth of a nation that really just started all this shit um don't ever watch that film don't do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't and also, can I one thing I just noticed, well, not really noticed, uh-huh. but like like thinking about this like these movies, I feel like not only like I know they're they're important quote unquote, mm-hmm. but it's like really frustrating to know that like most of these big old Hollywood movies, the fact that most of them if they include any black people at all, it's just going to be nothing but stereotypes. Right. Like that's it's really and i know it's fact that racism has literally caused that to be what it is like black people were never going to get access to our own wizard of oz in the 30s like that's not 
And that's not our fault. <laughs> like it's, that's the system that wanted it that way mm-hmm. and the white people in power that wanted it to be that way. But it's just, it's kind of frustrating that like, like, cause I was looking online and a lot of black people like this movie. And I'm like, what are y'all liking? Like, what are you, what? they were like, oh, I cried when Sarah Jane was crying on the casket. I'm like, huh? Cried for like, what? What do you, <laughs> like, what are y'all seeing? And I, I don't know if it's because they're raised on this stuff uh. or if it's like, what are you liking about I just don't want it to be in the Library of Congress. I don't understand. Like, yeah. I get like film wise, it's probably like amazing for its time, but these don't need to be the black representation. This is not it. This is not what we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. idea of people like going through the Library of Congress is like, ooh, black and race. Let's watch this and learn more about what about how what white people think <laughs> it is to be black and mixed. No. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, Tori, now that you said that, I just had one last point I want to ask y'all. Mm-hmm. Did y'all catch how both movies literally blame they don't bl- they don't literally talk about the core of the yeah. issue. They dance around it to say, "Oh, she's so tragic. She's a tragic mulatto," but they don't talk about why she they don't talk about the reason or the cause of anything mm. and they don't take That's what any I'm responsibility, about, especially in the 1939 yeah. version. All you hear is her crying about it and that's it like you they never mm-hmm. yeah. show you examples unless the one time they did in 1959 which still yeah like they feel tell like her white that audience she's not treated oh, differently i see what you're saying like like they do tell her that she's not treated differently but they don't try to get to the root of why no. she feels the way she feels and they don't explain to her that like mm-hmm. i get that you know the standard of beauty is such and such or this is the standard but i i see what you're saying though yeah yeah, yeah like i i yeah, go ahead. Tori. I was just about to say they're treating it as if like okay, the audience knows that, yeah. um, but they don't. Like, but yeah, do they? Right? They don't. <laughs> like, right? I can guarantee you, the white people who saw this thought of this is oh, this is a black problem. This has nothing to do with us. Poor black or people like, wanting to be like literally. Yeah, though. Right. They're assuming oh, that the viewers right. know it's because she's black, and they're assuming that any well, also censorship at the time, but also like it's it's kind of like the dancing around the issue is also it's taking responsibilities from the filmmaker to actually put effort into the characters. Mm. Cause it's like, you know what we're talking yeah, about. Right. Right. Cause you watch this movie and you don't feel like there's a, like the white people had nothing happen to them really. Like nothing yeah. negative besides losing uh, D- Delilah and Annie, but like the, they were not, they, it's very clear in these movies that the black characters are just passive characters in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's like, to me, it's like, why make a movie about passing and the complexities of race in the United States if you're going to pretend like, oh, this is just the black people having their problems. This has not, this is, we don't have anything to do Again, with this. There's no message. Again, which brings me back to the thing I'm most pissed off about. When you wrote this book, sis, did you really, you really thought you did something. You really, like, I know there's stuff <laughs> missing from the books that aren't in the movies, but like, you really thought you did like I now I'm interested to see what the book is actually like because if it's just this surface then what was the point like any ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> right <sighs> but yeah this was um we probably won't be doing black cinema every month but this is something that of course me and Nia just you know we couldn't go down alone if I gotta see it you gotta see it too <laughs> <laughs> um, Invitation of Life gets zero stars from me. I don't think it's 
um it's not something you have to watch i just thought it was an interesting discussion to have about film and black representation and all of that good stuff um do y'all care to give ratings <laughs> no i'm too conflicted zero on this for movie me to give it a rating. Right. like we understand mm. it well, i'm fine with the zero yeah we understand its significance within film history but the the content of it is garbage and i honestly wish the library of congress would take it out um but yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode we hope it was thought provoking and it um and it showed you um not everything you see in movies is real please know that i hope you know that especially if you're listening to our podcast if you don't walk away with nothing else today know that um know that but uh we thank you for being here make sure you give it make sure you give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen make sure you're following us on twitter at tiktok because we might be shooting out some um activities to do for the end of spooktober but until next time i'm tori i'm Marin. i'm nia and i'm decoria bye-bye Bye.